We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Discerning the voice and leading of the Holy Spirit. Discerning the voice and leading of the Holy Spirit. Discerning the voice and leading of the Holy Spirit. Every human being is driven by a voice. That's principle number one. Every human being is driven by a voice. Every human being is wired to respond to a voice. Every human being. There's no human being that acts outside the impulse of what they hear. Every time you did something, you did something from the impulse of a voice. Whether that voice is audible or not, is a story for another day. Every time you did something, it responds to a voice. You heard something. And whether you heard it audibly or not, you heard something. Because everybody responds to a voice. Every human being acts in response to what they hear. Everybody. Especially in this part of the world, you keep hearing stuff like, a voice was telling me that. Is that not so? Come on, Nigerian phrase. If one voice, the other voice now said, you know, the deeper people actually hear, regular people hear different voices. Deeper people hear different minds. You know, one mind said that. Another mind, only you. Another mind now come and said that. I was now not sure of which mind. Wow. You're amazing. You're a specimen. <laughs> Every human being acts in response to a voice. That therefore means that if we are a, a voice-controlled species, which we are, then the contention in every life is the contention for what you hear. If every human being responds to a voice, it means we are a voice or audio-controlled species. Because in the absence of a voice, you are not responding to anything. If it is established that we are an audio control species, then it means the contention is for who has your ears. That means the struggle for control is a struggle of voices. Whichever voice you listen to is the voice that has or gets control over you. Because everybody responds to what they hear. Does that make sense? Yes, and so we then start to look at the various avenues from which voices come. The world, cosmos, right? In the Greek, the world's system has a plethora of voices. The devil is a voice by himself. In fact, he's such a principality, if you're going to look at him in audio terms, the frequency that the devil displaces or occupies yeah. <laughs> is, is major. So you have the cosmos, the world, and the, all of what they suggest to you. That's why we sing that song, I live above the systems of this world. Because the world has a voice. 
If you listen to the voice of the world, you will gravitate in the direction of the world. If you listen to the voice of the devil, and boy, he speaks very well, very smoothly. The devil is not what you see in films. He's not. It's just special effects. The devil is an angel of light. I mean, she's, he's a smooth operator. <laughs> you just know straight is Satan. You don't need to go, oh, Father, what am I hearing? You just, you just know, so he will never come like that. And if you stay with me, we'll get there today. He will never come like that, but he's a voice, a major voice. You also have a third voice, which is also more dangerous, as it were, than Satan, especially for the believer. And that is the voice of your flesh. The voice of your flesh. I was studying yesterday, and I came across an article that had to do with hearing the voice of God and judging that as a litmus test when you know it's your flesh responding. Right? And I thought it was very interesting, so I'd like to read that, if that's okay. So here's a litmus test to give yourself when you can't decide whose voice you're hearing. Is your first instinct to defend yourself or prove you're right? If so, that is your flesh. It is not the Holy Spirit. Are you looking down on someone or feeling disdain for another person? If yes, that is your flesh. Your sinful nature at work. The Holy Spirit is always love and wants to give you love for every person. Are you envious of what someone else has? Feeling you deserve the same thing too. The Holy Spirit never leads us to or condones jealousy. Are you struggling to apologize and admit you're wrong? Do you see the toddler version of yourself coming alive? Do you want what you want when you want it? That's walking in the flesh, not the spirit. You know when a child starts to cry and they're not having it until they get what they want. The Holy Spirit desires sacrifice for God that is also God-dependent, not sacrifice for self-glory. Are you ungrateful or discontent? If so, you are being led by your flesh. Ingratitude is never from the Holy Spirit. So these are just pointers. You start to understand when it is the flesh's voice you're hearing. And then the last of the voices contending for your ears is the voice of God. And as you have heard Leonard say, the voice of God is the spirit of God. Or as we call him, and I don't know why they, they coined that up, Holy Spirit. As though he, had, he has to be emphasized that he's holy. By virtue of being the spirit of God, he's holy. It's like you saying, in the mighty name of Jesus. As though if you didn't say the name was mighty, the name is not mighty. And most times we adjectify Jesus to psych ourselves up. In the most precious, in the powerful, in the megaphone name. All those adjectives do nothing for the name. It's the name. And Philippians doesn't say at the mention of the name of Jesus. When you go back, read your Bible again. I won't tell you where. So the screen doesn't spoil you. Whereby God highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus. Every niche about. It doesn't say at the mention of the name. Check your Bible. It's in Philippians. I won't tell you where. It's in Horus. 
that went at the mention of thy name. And then we now quote the scripture according to the chorus. And then other people pick it up. It's not the mention of the name, sir. But alas, who is correcting it? What does he know? Check your Bible. Has anybody found it? Where did you see it? You opened it in your Bible. You saw it with your own eyes. Carol, Carol eyes. What does it say? That at the name of Jesus, Now you can show them. Where did you say you found it? You saw it in your Bible? Where did you get mentioned from? Somebody concluded that this thing has to mean when you say Jesus. Then they sang it and it became doctrine. And then it starts to plague us for decades. We are stuck with the mention of the name. That's why they tell you, shout the name seven times. Show me one place in scripture where it says that. The louder you shout, the faster you. Show me one place in scripture where they say that. And you go, powers come again. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. It doesn't say the mention of the name. Because the mention of the name does nothing. Ouch. But at the name and the word in the Greek for name is the word onomatos. From the word onoma. Spelled how it is pronounced. And onoma or onomatos does not mean anything verbal or audible. Onoma means the authority and identity behind someone. The authority and identity. That's onoma or onomatos in the Greek. So what is Paul saying? God has given this authority to Jesus. That at the deploying of that authority. It's not shouting Jesus. Oh Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Most times you shout it in fear. The irony of shouting an authoritative name in fear. So we have four voices contending for the ears of a human being. The world, the devil, your flesh, and God. The spirit of God. We talk about the spirit of God so much and the truth of the matter is we don't talk about him enough. Because the spirit of God is God's best gift to a believer. The Holy Spirit is the promise of God. That promise of God is the fulfillment of the blessing promised to Abraham. So in actual fact, legally and vitally, the blessing of Abraham is the residency of the Holy Spirit in you. So we say Jesus legally because it's Jesus that brings it about. But the actualization of the blessing really and truly is the Holy Spirit in you. Does that make sense? The blessing is not what Jesus did. The blessing is what what Jesus did brought you into. The deposit of your salvation is the blessing that you have received. Does that make sense? That's the best gift God can give a believer. The best gift. I wrote here, contrary speaking or conversely, uh, just in case you, you, somebody might want to get confused. Jesus Christ or Jesus yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, right? Let's, let's, let's stay there, son of man, who died for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you understand it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just so you don't get confused. Does that help? Yes, sir. Jesus is God's gift 
to the world. Jesus is God's best gift to the world is Jesus to die for the world. God commended his love towards us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is love, 1 John 3, 16, that God, Jesus died for us. Or Jesus laid down his life for us. But for the believer, God's best gift to the believer is the Holy Spirit. Such that to deny or to disregard or disrespect the Holy Spirit is to sabotage anything God can ever do for you. To sabotage everything God can ever do for you. The Spirit of God speaks, therefore, to believers who have consciously received Christ as their life. The Holy Spirit speaks to believers. His ministry is in the believer. Does that make sense? He's working in the world for the salvation of the sinner or the lost. But his primary work is in the believer as the voice of God. Does that make sense? So the Holy Spirit speaks in the believer who has received Christ. I'm emphasizing that because the Holy Spirit will have me remind us today or shall I say, stir us up to be sure in ourselves, and this is not to plant doubt in anybody's heart, but you cannot run around saying the Spirit of God told me if you're not born again. So I'm being careful with this, but I need you to understand carefully. That you are in word-abiding house does not make you born again. Mm. Hear me carefully today. That you are singing does not make you born again. That you are a pastor doesn't make you born again. The two most important parties that establish and verify the veracity of a believer's salvation is God and that particular believer. The rest of it happens by, by their fruit, you shall know them. By test of spirits. By descending of spirits. By, do you understand what I'm saying? This is how we know that you are of us. He believes that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Those are now parameters for the rest of the church to identify a believer. Now there's how an unbeliever can be so coy that he or she will exhibit all of these parameters and somebody else will tick them and say, guy, you're a believer. And we will accept you as the believer that you say you are and as the believer that you therefore act to be. And then you will go on and deceive yourself and say, yes, I'm born again. And then you start to say that the voices you are hearing is the Holy Spirit. So first of all, this teaching is applicable only to those who are born again. And how you know is that you heard the gospel in its purest form. And the day you heard the gospel, it stirred conviction in you. Your faith came alive and you said, I believe. And the moment you said, I believe, you became a new creation. And you can tell, I am not the person I used to be. Not I came to church and liked the music. Not I came and I liked Pav. And he ministered the Lord to my pocket. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But those are not the parameters by which you can measure your salvation. I had the particulars of the gospel. Instead, conviction, my faith responded. Faith, which is a gift of God. And I believed. And I said, 
I believed and I reposed my faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? That's how you know you're born again. It's that simple. But it's that simple that a lot of people can miss it. Because you went for the more complex things. Altar call. It's very complex. What you're saying at the time of altar call, you don't even understand. Because you have not heard the gospel. We preached a totally different message. Just as we're about to end the message, we're now saying, in case you're here, and you have heard all I've said, the only way you can enjoy what I've said is to accept Jesus into your life or give your life to Christ. That person did not hear the gospel. They didn't hear the gospel. You cannot preach for 45 minutes what you liked and wanted to preach. Then at the end, in 30 seconds, you rush through the altar call and say, now you are born again. Because you said what I said you should say. There's a lot that we will answer to God for, pastors. You preach your own message. Whatever he wants, prosperity, marital, whatever. At the end, for adventure, you now throw one scripture randomly that has no bearing with what you were saying. And say, say this was after me. You are more confused at the time of saying the altar call than you were when you came into the service. Because you're asking us, what, what, what I heard was this call that I answered. What did I answer? That's why by the next altar call, you are coming out again. So that by the time you have done it 20 times, one of them supposed don't click. One of them. I mean, I've answered, I've accepted Jesus into my life. I've given my life to God like 20 times. One of them. So we went for the more complex things and left the simplicity of the gospel. That's why the assurance of salvation is important for a believer. If you're born again, you know. It's like asking Saul, are you really sure that you are born again? Saul of Tarsus. It's like asking Onesimus, who got born again, ran away from Philemon. So are you really born again? Asking Silas, are you sure? If you're born again, you know. If you're born again and you know, raise your hand. It's not a trick question, huh? You know. I heard the gospel. I heard what Jesus did for me. I heard it as clear as I know my name. It highlighted for me the gross nature of my inadequacy. And highlighted for me the far-reaching extent of God's extravagant grace. In my life that established his reckless love. By what he did on the cross. Paying for my sins. Purchasing my justification. And now making me his righteousness. I heard it. I believed. And I know that I am born again. That's something to give God praise for. Something to give God praise for. Because it is the born again believer. The Holy Spirit speaks to. Can we go from there? He has always been the guide. I spoke about how the Holy Spirit has always been at work in the world. From creation. He has always been at work in the world. Isaiah 13, 1. Isaiah is in what testament? Isaiah 13, verse 1. See, God. (laughs) God is saying to the children of Israel, his people. Woe to the rebellious. And woe is not a curse, but that's not a story for today. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord. Who take counsel, but not of me. Stay here. His beef was that they were collecting advice, but not from him. 
The beef was not that they were not collecting advice. They take counsel, but not of me. And who devise plans? See this next line. Old Testament. So even in the Old Testament, God's expectation of his people were for their plans to be devised only by his spirit. And don't ask me, but how would they have been getting access to his spirit? I'm not going to go there, just so that I don't go too far out. But the point is, God is saying, rebellious children, they're taking counsel, not from me. They're devising plans, but not from my spirit. So what was God's expectation? That they should be as led by his spirit in the Old Testament. Did God not know that the Holy Spirit was not resident in the children of Israel? And yet he expected that they be led by his spirit. Even then, all it took was the Holy Spirit in one person or upon one person to provide the counsel of God for everybody. These guys were going to go to war and there were thousands. I mean, Judah's Judas tribe had over 70,000 men that carried the sword. Guys, the tribe of Reuben, they had large armies. And then it comes to this tribe called Issachar. And how many were they? Understanding the times. I think there were 300 or 200. Understanding the times and what Israel should do. I don't want to call a figure that is wrong. Let me find it. 200. First Chronicles 12. Back it up a little bit. I, I need to see where the numbers start. Great. 23. 23. Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war. And came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him. Of the sons of Judah bearing shield and spear, 6,800 men, right? Of the sons of Simeon, 25, 7,100. Of the sons of Levi, 4,600. Skip to verse 30. Of the sons of Ephraim, 20,800, 20, right? 31. Of half the tribe of Manasseh, 18,000. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200. See the next line. And all their brethren were at their command. Now he goes on and he calls more numbers of the rest of the armies of Israel, but all these numbers were under the command of 200 men. Who knew what other people did not know? They had understanding of the times. We can imply or infer by the Holy Spirit. And all it took was these guys to command and control everybody else. There were people that had the Spirit of God working upon them in that time. That's why David cried for God to not take it. Make sense? That's why they had seers in those times. And God's expectations, even from times of old, was that men be led by his Spirit. He's always been the guide of the people. And has always been the guide and the voice of Jesus. Matthew 4. Stay with me, we're going somewhere. Then Jesus was led up. He was led up by the? Look for one. He's always been the guide of God's people. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's always been the guide of people from ages past. 
always been the guide of Jesus from when Jesus began his earthly ministry. Okay? Now we start to look at a few practical ways to discern the voice of God, who is the voice of the Holy Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. Right? Number one, the voice of the Holy Spirit or the voice of God is gentle. The Holy Spirit is gentle. He's not a ruffian. You already know that that ruffian is very highly probable, not the Holy Spirit. He's not a ruffian. He has never been forceful. The Holy Spirit has never been forceful. First Kings 19. This is a gentle man. First Kings 19, 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains. And broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. That's very instructive. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. So when we call all these events we do and name them by wind and earthquake and fire. Okay. Because the Lord was not in the earthquake after the wind. Keep going. And after the earthquake, but... And after the fire. 13. So it was when Elijah heard it, the still small voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, and then God began to speak with him. A wind came. Now, the, the interesting question is this. Why did God just not show up straight in the still small voice? Elijah would not have believed his God. No drama. No special effects. So God showed Elijah, I, I, I created special effects. Oh. Go and read Job 38. Genesis 1 doesn't show you. Genesis 2 doesn't show you. Job 38 shows you when God created those things. So he tells Elijah, see, wind, earthquake, fire. These are elementals or the elements. And God placed the elements before Elijah and he was not in it. That means most of the time we can safely submit that God's voice is not in the obvious. The voice of God is not in the obvious. It's not where you expect him to be. I mean, I'll go ahead of myself. He's gentle. He's not a ruffian. Some of you hear some things laughing in your ear. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not. He's gentle. He's never forceful. My friend, why did it? It's not the Holy Spirit. It's your dead grandmother's voice. Listen. That you are born again, and I'm, again, I'm going to hurt on myself. That you're born again does not automatically mean the only voice you are hearing is God's voice. Don't make the mistake to conclude that because now you're born again, what you are hearing is God's voice. It takes you a while to get there. If you have not gotten there, understand and admit that you haven't gotten there. And that is why somebody who does not know the word of God cannot be led by the Spirit of God beyond your knowledge of His Word. I'll come to that. You cannot be led by the Spirit of God beyond your knowledge of His Word. How do you want Him to lead you? With an encyclopedia, you still don't know that. With your chemistry textbook, you still don't know it. Plus the A you got in chemistry. 
Because you read to pass, you didn't read to know. As soon as you passed, you're forgotten chemistry. Right after your exam, the next day I ask you something in chemistry, you remember. Because you're not interested. But you were a science student. So where does the Holy Spirit teach you God's word from? If you have not put that word in your heart. And it's in teachings like this that you get to learn God's word. Isaiah 30, 21. The Holy Spirit's voice is what? Gentle. Isaiah 30, 21. You shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk. Now, when I, when I was doing this study about the Holy Spirit, and, and he, the Holy Spirit, dropped this scripture in my heart, I, I, I was concerned. Because I asked him straight off. But this thing says, you shall hear a voice behind you. What does that mean? And all he said was, behind. So I said, that's the problem that I'm having with this scripture you have given me. And he repeats again, gently, behind. So I open my lexicon and I start to find the root of the word behind. Min, M-I-N, or mine, M-I-N-N-E. And in all of those circumstances, the word min in the Hebrew means within or from. Because I've always known the scripture, but I've never looked at it in the light of this, the voice of God speaking to Because this voice is behind. Does that make sense? So you can easily dismiss it as one of those Old Testament concepts that are no longer applicable to the believer. So when he dropped it in my heart yesterday night, I'm like, but behind? How? And he said, behind. In other words, the conundrum of this verse is in understanding the word behind. And in the Hebrew, it didn't say behind. So the word is M-I-N, min, or mini, M-I-N-N-I, or mine, M-I-N-N-E, in the Hebrew. And it means of you or from you or within you. So you shall hear a word from you saying, this is the word, walk in it. Because if you read the context of Isaiah 30, it was a, a prophecy of the coming righteousness that we'll receive by the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? So he was promising them of what will happen. Your ears shall hear. Do you understand? It was a prophecy of what will come when we are saved and the Holy Spirit comes into us. He wasn't referring to something that will, ha- will happen to Israel at that time. He wasn't saying to Israel, you are hearing a voice behind you. So he wasn't describing their current reality. It was de- describing their coming reality, which is now our current reality. Do you understand? You will eat in plenty and be satisfied. Right now, you are not eating in plenty. If you are, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what you will come into that you're not currently into. You will. Make sense? So when Joel says in chapter 2, in the last days, I will, in the, it shall come to pass in those days, actually, Joel says, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It means that at that point, the spirit was not poured out upon all flesh. Does that make sense? Now, when the Spirit of God came upon all flesh in Acts 2, Peter then comes and says, this is what was spoken of. You understand what I'm saying? So he says, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel in these last days. I will pour out my spirit. So what Peter was saying in Acts chapter 2 was that what has happened now 
is what was prophesied would happen. Because at that time when it was being prophesied, it hadn't happened. Make sense? So when God says in Isaiah 30 that you will hear, it means at this point, they didn't have that. It was a promise. So I looked at it. Oh, if it's a promise, how come you're referring to us and you're saying we'll hear the voice behind us? Because the Holy Spirit is not behind us. Even God with us, we have left that. So I have a problem with you hear a voice behind. And he said, behind. So I went investigating. And to my utter amazement, the word min or mini or mine means out of or from. So you will hear the word from within you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. I'm like, yes, Lord, I can walk with that. (laughs) I can walk with that. I love studying God's word. It's beautiful. If you have a lexicon, if you use Bible Hub or or you can just check it as I'm speaking. Has anybody seen it? Yeah, Isaiah 30, 21, just click lexicon, click Hebrew. You see it right there. It's not, it's not mysteries. It's available for everybody. Just to do a little digital study. And that, that really, really blessed me. That the word I'm looking forward to hearing is the word that is within me. You know how Romans um, 10, I believe, the word of God is near you, right? It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That's, so, so scripture, interpreting scripture, I'm comfortable with that. But you will hear a voice behind you. Okay, we have a problem. Thankfully, it's not behind. Does that help you? So number one, he's gentle. Number two, he has no message of his own. I've taught that extensively in this house. He only reveals Jesus. He has no message of his own. John 16, 13. John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. Again, same principle. When Jesus was saying he will guide you, it meant that at that point, the Holy Spirit was not... I can't be saying something will happen if it's already happening. What I'm promising will happen has to be different from what is already happening. A promise has to be different from a reality. Make sense? He will guide you. Now, we are working in the fulfillment of that promise. Because we are now being guided. He will guide you into all truth. Here's how he's going to do it. He will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. So he has no message of his own. He will not speak on his own authority. He speaks on the authority of Jesus. Does that make sense? He has no message of his own. I know that Jesus said, you know, what I've come to show you, this mystery. Mm -mm. Dangerous to put the Holy Spirit into a separate class or class of deification, deity. To make him a deity that can function or functions in the believer apart. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears of Jesus, he will speak because Jesus is the word. What about anyhow? You know that, right? Yes, sir. He has no message of his own. He only reveals Christ Jesus. Number three. His voice is not strange, weird, or scary. <laughs> that was a cartoon figure. If you were blessed to have a cartoon childhood. 
or those of you that are privileged to be having a cartoon childhood in your adulthood. His voice is not strange because Jesus promised that the voice of a stranger, they will not hear. His voice is not strange, weird, or scary. In other words, you're not going, um, I'm not sure if that voice is God. Mm. His voice is not strange, it's not weird, it's not scary. It's relatable. God doesn't speak, hear me carefully, God doesn't speak to spook. He doesn't speak to you to spook you. Ah, God. No, 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 no. Even the burning bush had a peace and calm around it. Exodus 3. Even the burning bush that was burning and not burning. You, you, don't, you don't see record of earthquake again. Those things came and God was not in it. Because if the burning bush was, had um, firecrackers in them, you know, bangers. There's no way ah, Moses would say, let me turn around and see this thing that ran from Egypt. Moses that was already suspecting everything after he ran from Egypt. Moses, there's not a chance. Wow, burning, but it's not burning. But even this magnificent sight of fire that wasn't consuming. I, I'm trying to stay and teach this thing so I can finish it in one day. Because this thing is also an indictment to those people that in Hebrews say that God is a consuming fire because he comes, kills and consumes people. A fire showed up. The fire of God showed up. Nope. It didn't consume anything. Even that sight had a calm decorum about it. And Moses drew near enough to witness this thing. Out of which the voice of God spoke. Why was Moses not spooked? Why was Gideon at the threshing floor of honor not spooked? So we have to be careful and rethink what we have been sold as the way God talks to us. And that's why a lot of people don't feel like God can speak to them. Because they know that their life doesn't have special effect. Somebody will tell you, I lay on somebody's bed for eight hours. To receive the, 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 the anointing upon you, like, ah, when am I going to get there? Because what, what has flashed through your mind, the special effect? Lie on the bed, roll from this side to that. Oh, God of, you know, I've got the person's name. Oh, God of, where are you? Enter me. Some, some pastor came for a crusade a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago. Now finish his thing. Enter the cars, you know, motorcade, whoop, guy zoomed out. Like close to a thousand people who ran to where he sat and mobbed his chair. And they were literally dragging the chair and the chair was up in the air. And they were dragging, literally fighting by the gate over the chair that the man of God sat in. Because somehow you have been conditioned at best, brainwashed at worst, to believe that there is only a particular level of anointing that can do for you what you are expecting from God. You are a slave. My slave. And that's why you go out and calling the name of somebody. Oh God of Alexander Victor. That's the height of slavery. Because you have been conditioned to believe that there's a level of God that you cannot come into. So that's when you come and tell me you have a problem. And I say, as well, peace. You're like, you're like, ah, pastor, pray now. And you will not pray. No, I'm going to sleep. He speaks to you. From inside you. Within you. His voice is not strange, weird, or 
Scary. He's as natural and as relatable as you need him to be. Did you get that? Number four. He will never contradict God's word. This is important. He will never. Somebody say never. Never. Say it again. Never. He will never contradict God's word in whatever he tells you to do. Never. To do that will be to speak of his own authority. John 14, 26. 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all the things that I said to you. He brings you in remembrance of what has been said or he brings you in remembrance of the word of God. Same thing. What has been said? The word. Make sense? He only reminds you of the word. If you haven't put his word in you, you cannot discern his voice. If you haven't put his word in you, because if you will not speak contrary to his word, and you don't know the word, you will not know when he's speaking. You hear something and conclude it was the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? But the Holy Spirit is actually bearing witness in your spirit of what has been spoken. The word of God on your inside. If you don't know what the word of God has to say about that particular issue, you will struggle to decipher the voice of God when he's speaking. You can't hear the Holy Spirit because there's, not, there's nothing to measure him against. Does that make sense? I'll, I'll get to that in a in in minute if I can come to that. There's so much I want to share. But the Holy Spirit will not tell you anything that cannot be verified. The Holy Spirit will not tell you anything that cannot be verified on the strength of his word. Now, if you don't have the word, how or against what do you verify what you're hearing? That's a dangerous place to be. Because you hear a voice. Okay, Papa said it's not gentle. Oh, this voice is soft. Papa said this guy is very rough here. Now, this guy is really, really nice and cool. His voice is not strange. So it has to be the Holy Spirit. Verified against what? Against what? And that's how we know people that are led by the Spirit. It's not people that act all, you know, pious. You are led by the Spirit if you are, if the voice you're hearing causes you to act because I started by saying every human being acts in response to a voice. Please don't forget that. If we gave you an instruction, you did the opposite or felt the opposite. You heard a different voice. You cannot deny it. You cannot say you heard the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit inspired you to walk in rebellion. The Spirit of God that tells you in the house to submit to those that have rule over you will not tell you to stand against those he has told you have rule over you. And you can, you, can, you can stand and try to justify it all you like. You are just proving that you don't know the word or you don't obey the word. So there are certain conversations I, I stop having with certain people. Because you cannot be said the Holy Spirit led you contrary to his word. Where I'm speaking to someone and they are in opposition to what the word of God has to say about that thing. That's the end of our conversation. I will tell you at this point it is clear. I cannot help you. We cannot continue this conversation any further. And I'm done. Because he will not speak contrary to God's word. That's why the onus is on you to know the word. I will hide your word in my heart. Does that make sense? So when you hear a voice, what is this word consistent with? This is voice rather consistent with. In God's word. The, the Holy Spirit's voice must always be verifiable. 
He cannot tell you something that only you heard. And only you can explain. I'm going ahead of myself. <laughs> Are you receiving this today? That's why I said, even if you have been born again for a long time, open your ears today. Open your ears because it's of the Holy Spirit. It's highly likely, especially if you're not taught well. You know, that's how you can be in a new creation reality, but stuck in old creation habits because of where you got your training from. It's highly likely. That somebody has enthroned a particular voice as the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why I read you those things earlier. About, are you feel, do you feel like you should defend yourself? Do you feel when they say sit here, you should sit somewhere else? It's not the Holy Spirit telling you, I know they're telling you to sit here, go and sit there. It's not, because he's a God of order and not of chaos. Let all things be done decently and in order. If he's leading you differently, there will always be a witness. Always. He cannot lead you alone. Is this helping you? It is always verifiable. God said. That's how we test spirits. The Lord led me to. The Lord said you should marry me. Look at me everybody. Look at me. Everybody. Keep your eyes on me. That is so subjective. That it can lead a lot of people into error. There's no veracity for it in God's word. None. There's no veracity for it. Lord said you are my wife. To refuse me is to refuse the voice of God. And I know what I'm saying. If you refuse me, you're refusing God. You're walking against the will of God. God told me. I don't have to love you. I don't have to like you. Because you know what that does is, it takes away any human engagement. The Lord said, you are my wife. This is not about me loving you. It's not about you loving me. It's, not about, it's about what the Lord said. After a few years, you will come and tell us what the Lord. <laughs> you walk into my office and say to you, sister, what is the Lord saying? He that findeth a wife. Oh. The whole marriage thing, you see, the thing is, our hearing is, is subjective on, on the count of our paradigm, our mindset. Honestly, the African Holy Spirit is different. I'm not joking. The African Holy Spirit is so different. And so over time, we have conditioned ourselves to believe that that translation of what you're hearing is the Holy Spirit. How can he be only relevant to you? And he's the Spirit of God. Can I go ahead? He will never contradict God's word. Marriage is 1 Corinthians 7. That's as deep as the marriage thing could have gotten. And Paul downplays it. I mean, why doesn't he, why, why doesn't he instruct you to marry? Because if you're not married, you're missing a particular blessing of God. Instead, he says, you know what? If you have sense, don't marry. Tell that to your mom. <laughs> Number one, he's gentle. He's not a ruffian. He's never forceful. Number two, he has no message of his own. He only reveals Christ Jesus. Number three, his voice is not strange, weird, or scary. He's as natural and as relatable as you need him to be. Number four, he will not contradict God's word. Never. Number five, the Holy Spirit or the voice of God will never patronize your flesh. Never. 
The voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God will never patronize your flesh. Galatians 5.17. Never. Oh, Holy Spirit, I just feel like, I just, I just feel like sleeping with this chick. This will be like, yeah, go on, my son. Your sins are forgiving you. He will never patronize your flesh. Never, never. Galatians 5.17. You see this. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. See this next line. That's a key line. And these, these two, are what? Tippity. See how clear it is? For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then, the two what? The two what? The two what? And within you are your self-life, your flesh, and that's the good fight of faith you fight. Is you against your flesh. Because if you allow it, it will win. And you wonder why it wins. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't strive. Doesn't strive. These are the two opposing forces contending for who has your ears. The Holy Spirit will never cross and enter and side with his enemy in your life. So be careful when you are justifying what is happening in you. It's not the Holy Spirit, sir. Be careful when you're holding firmly what your conviction is in spite of instructions, especially in a spiritual context. Auntie, it's not the Holy Spirit. You can be as spiritual as you think you are. You are walking in opposition to the Holy Spirit and that means you are servicing your flesh. And this is why flesh is so comfortable in church. Because we want to justify our flesh and say it was the Spirit that was leading us. And you just walk up to someone you know, and you just walk up to them and just plant a kiss on their lips. The Holy Spirit did not lead you. Oh, get there. If you acted as led, you always be received according as you were led. The Holy Spirit will not lead you to give somebody a hug who didn't want to be hugged. Instantly, you just, you just walk away and repent. Tell yourself, I'm growing. I need to hear better. Need to hear better. You will not. Holy Spirit, no need to go and force somebody to hug you. Hug me. I was led to hug you. I don't want. Okay, you know that you didn't hear clearly. And there are times in our lives, every now and then, where we walk subjectively, rather than by the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you're honest with yourself, you know when you got it wrong. You will know. And you don't have to toot a horn about it. You just know I need to sharpen my hearing in this area. But don't attribute anything that gratifies your flesh to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Mm -mm. How you know most times that is the Holy Spirit speaking is that he's always against what you want to do. Oh yes. Oh yes. The one you want to wear. You want to wear. You want to wear. It says the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's your flesh. It's your flesh. You, you slept late, you stayed up watching movies, playing with friends, gisting, doing TikTok, doing WhatsApp status. You now wake up, you have 8 o'clock lecture. You wake up at 7, you slept at 3, 30. Say the Holy Spirit says you're not going to class. It's not the Holy Spirit. 
I was led to stay. It's a lie. You led yourself to stay in bed. Because you succumbed to the systems of this world. Don't put it on the Holy Spirit. Now, can the Holy Spirit tell you to stay in bed? Absolutely. I hope you're hearing me carefully. But then you will know at that point in time that what I want to do now is not to stay in bed. (laughs) If I had my way, I'm gone. The Holy Spirit says, stay here, sit here, stay in bed. Sit down. And I'll come to that in a short while. He's a restraining force. If God loves you, if the Holy Spirit is interested in you, if you are yielded to the Holy Spirit, he's a restraining force in your life. Otherwise, he will never gratify your flesh. Ever. So, yeah, just woke up. Oh, just said, oh, since you, you, have not, you slept late, you woke up late, then just don't go for Christ's experience. After all, my spirit is everywhere. Because you must be careful what you are attributing to the Holy Spirit. He will not contradict his word. He will not. If he says, don't forsake the gathering. Now, there are times when he will do, give explicit, crystal clear instructions. Absolutely, we'll come to that in a bit. But generally speaking, the move of the Holy Spirit does not gratify your flesh. Because what he speaks against is your flesh. Does that make sense? Turn around, slap him now. If you don't slap him, you don't receive sense. Then the Holy Spirit said, no, we're arguing. Now she just stopped talking and she just slapped it. You'll be shocked what I deal with as a pastor. People tell us what they were led to do or say. And I tell them, uncle, how the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit. Because that's him gratifying your flesh. You want to slap somebody to feel better. He says, go ahead. Sure you feel better when you slap him. Just slap him. That's another voice. And if you succumb to it, repent of it. Are you hearing me now? Repent. Somebody give an instruction, your body swole. Repent of it. Because the Spirit of God will never gratify your flesh. Each time he speaks, your flesh is in danger. <laughs> you hearing me? Each time he speaks, your flesh knows, ah, they have, they have spoiled my show. And you forget he says, I will never leave you. I never leave you. He meant it, sir. And sometimes it annoys you. He will never patronize your flesh. Romans 8.5 The Holy Spirit will never patronize your flesh. Look at this. Give us TPT. Modern translation. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. Hmm. i read it again. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. For the third time. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. If you're always on about yourself, you are in the flesh. Pastor, deacon, bishop, makes no difference. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. The word of God cannot lie. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. So your pursuits determine for us as the church who you are being motivated by. Don't pursue yourself and put you on the Holy Spirit. Because you can't be led by him 
and be caught up in yourself. I wrote here, everyone generally hears a voice in the direction of their feeling. That is how we are tempted. If you feel something long enough, you will hear a voice validating what you are feeling. The devil cannot tempt you over something you are not feeling. That's why he waited until day 40 to bring bread as temptation to Jesus. Because that temptation would have made absolutely no significance on day one. Jonathan, Jesus strolling out of Mary's house after breakfast or lunch, you know, nice and full. And then Satan comes and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Jesus will be like, with his toothpick, you're like, <laughs> you know, or if he doesn't have toothpick, tongue pick. You know the tongue pick? Stones to bread. Do you know what I just had? Do you know what Mother Mary just cooked? But by day 40, have you ever watched Madagascar? Where all Alex is seeing when he looks at that zebra? A steak. Meat. And they asked him, they asked the lion, he said, do I look like steak to you? And the guy said, yes. <laughs> they tried to get him to eat fish. It wasn't working. You're a big cat. You're a big cat. Cat eat fish. Remember that bit? Yeah. So you're a big cat. So the cat eat fish. So the guy, mm, steak. Everything looked like steak to him. So by day 40, I bet you, Jesus was already looking at some of those stones and seeing bread. Because everybody hears a voice in the direction of how they are currently feeling. So if for you, your work with God is a feeling, you're in trouble. Because for everything you feel, you will always hear a voice. Is this helping anybody? For everything you feel, you will always hear a voice. And that voice is doing nothing other than to justify your feeling. Instantly, you know, that is not the Holy Spirit. What was Jesus' response? Man shall not live by bread alone. Why? Do you forget that it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, King James says, and he was unhungered. Luke 4. <laughs> Verse 2. And let me see it in the TPT. Luke 4, 2. Are you receiving instruction today? Luke 4, 2. Or one, just by need verse two. From the moment of his baptism, Jesus was overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He was taken by the Spirit from the Jordan into the lonely wilderness of Judea to experience the ordeal of testing by the accuser for 40 days. Look at this. He ate no food during this time. In the message, look for one. He ate nothing during these days, and when the time was up, he was hungry. Every time you have a feeling, you will hear a voice validating the feeling. Listen, Satan is too smart to come when he is not going to be given a consideration. It's too smart to come around you when what he's about to say, when his proposition 
doesn't sound relevant in your life. You have 200,000 in your account. Somebody comes and says, I can lend you 200,000 for 26% interest over six months. You will laugh at the person. When you're owing 300,000, you have goods of 20K and there's police calling you and they say, I can give you 100,000 for 90% interest over 30 days. You say, I know, but. Is that not so? A bush in hand is what a bird in the bush. (laughs) No, 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 no. It makes more sense. Because why? It's relevant suddenly. It's relevant to you. Every time there's a feeling, you hear a voice. Now that's how you can feel so spiritually in yourself that you conclude the voice you're hearing is the Holy Spirit. If it validates what you're feeling, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's the devil coming to play on your feeling and tell you what you want to hear and he will sound like God. Because he's a master pervert. That's the slight thing about the enemy. He will not come and say, (laughs) he will sound like what you are used to hearing. So you have to verify against God's word. Hmm. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why did, why did Jesus not drive him and say, get away from here, Satan? Shush, shush, shush. Plays how he, Jesus, is feeling. And boy, 40 days, Jesus is hungry. Plays what Satan is offering. What was his final play? What the word says. Do you see that? He verified the offer against the word. The word verified temptation against the word. The Logos subjected what he heard, which some of you would have concluded was a what? A Rema. So that's why you jump and say, oh, Rema. Something has been revealed to me. The Logos subjected the Rema to the graphic. Word play all through. Because I said, I'm the word now. He says, no, it is written. Not I am feeling. Because his feeling was legit. Jesus was not wrong to be hungry. Guy, it's 40 days old. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So his feeling was justified. But the offer was not. And how could he tell? The word. Because if it comes to gratify your flesh, it's highly unlikely to be the voice of God. Are you here? Yes, sir. That's how we are tempted. The Holy Spirit is not the voice of your feelings. The Holy Spirit is the voice in spite of your feelings. It's not the voice of your feelings. It's the voice in spite. The voice beyond what you're feeling. It's easy. It's not difficult hearing the Holy Ghost. As you're, as you're listening to this. Do you realize that? It's not, it's, not, it's not difficult. It's not difficult. If he says that you... God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you having all sufficiency will abound in every good work. That's his will towards you in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.8. And then your brother has a need and you have money in your pocket. And he says, I don't have. And he says, the Holy Spirit told me to not give my brother. You can't show me one example like that in scripture. Because there's he that withholds what is meat and tends to poverty. There's he that scattered abroad and comes into plenty. So how, how are you so confident of what the Holy Spirit can and cannot say? The word of God now, which we know and preach. What else is he speaking? 
What else is he speaking? Where is he getting what he's getting to tell you? When Jesus himself, whose spirit the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. The owner of the spirit told you this, the spirit will not say anything of his own. Do you understand what I'm saying? The owner of the spirit said, the guy will not, he has no message of his own. He will take from me and give you. It's on that authority that we can submit to you what the Holy Spirit can and cannot say. Oh, are you saying that you know the Holy Spirit? No. But yes. Are you here? It's not the voice of your feelings. It's the voice in spite of your feeling. Did you get that? Number six. The Holy Spirit's voice will never cause you to make another believer stumble. And this is also a very strong one. The Holy Spirit's voice will not cause you to make another believer stumble. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the preservation of the saints. Right? He's the seal of the saints. If the Holy Spirit leads Val to hurt Alfred, what has to happen is this, because Val and Alfred are both brethren, both born again, both sealed by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has to unseal Alfred temporarily to allow Val hurt him. Since it was the Holy Spirit that led Val to hurt Alfred. Tell him your mind. If you don't tell him your mind, he will not ever respect you. I mean, if I found you, I will never let you go. Be careful of such people in your life. They are wrong voices. I can't believe you took that sitting down. I know me, I will tell him my mind though. Now, by the time you now feel like I was being led to tell our friend my mind in spite of how it makes him feel. The Lord led me. The Holy Spirit led me. The only way this leading can work is if the Holy Spirit who has sealed both of you unseals this person to give you access to them. Now, that is not going to happen. So the Holy Spirit cannot on account of your perceived seal of his unseal somebody else so you can take advantage of them and say you were led. Do you understand what I just said to you? For, for you to... Israel has something called the Iron Dome. It's their missile defense system. Shoot a missile at Israel from any direction. The Iron Dome shoots a missile that counters your missile before it enters harmful space in Israel. So if you shoot a hundred missiles at Israel, probably only two or three will enter its airspace. As soon as it picks that in their, on their radar, it releases a counter that destroys it. Don't you watch movies? The Navy SEALs, the Marines, and all them guys that do stealth missions. If you're going to fly, you have to switch off something. If you're going to get into a building, you must get to the security system, switch off the cameras, disable the alarm. You must do something that gives access. So if the Holy Spirit is going to mandate you and lead you to say something or do something to mess victory up, the Holy Spirit must first make victory vulnerable for you to insult. And he will not do that. Therefore, he cannot lead you to mess victory up. So you must be careful that your own liberty does not cause you to feel like it's at the expense of everybody else. Your neighbors, brethren, are not safe to be with you. 
classmates are not safe to be with you because you will just say or do something. And you are convinced you're doing that in the liberty that you have, but your liberty is, is hurting somebody else. It's not the Holy Spirit. You cannot justify it on the strength of Scripture. You cannot. That's witchcraft. So the Holy Spirit will never lead you or speak to you in a manner that makes you cause your brother to stumble. Ah, somebody walked in. You're about to do something. Somebody walked in. The Holy Spirit will be like, nah, go on. Should be, should be, should be, should be, be wondering. No shaking. Just go ahead and just go ahead and drink. I'm with you to the end of the age. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8. Deal with these things about not causing your brother to stumble. So you cannot, the Holy Spirit cannot lead you that way. He cannot. We speak again on this authority because of what his word says. Are you hearing me now? Or, or you believe somehow the Holy Spirit can cause you to make your brother stumble? When I showed you on Friday that he that does, does against the brother sings against Christ. It's stuff that God takes very seriously. He's jealous for the body. So he will not make you make another believer stumble. He will not unseal another believer in honor of his seal upon you. No, you're not that deep. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? You by your one self are not that deep. So now let him unseal my brother so I can take advantage of them because me I'm sealed. No, he sealed us all. Did you get that? 2 Corinthians 1.22 who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our heart as a guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4, 30. And do not grieve the spirit of God by whom you were sealed. You get that? Number seven. The voice of the Holy Spirit will always uphold the testimony of Jesus in your life. The voice and leading of the Holy Spirit will always uphold the testimony of Jesus in your life. John 15, 26. He will always uphold the testimony of Jesus in your life. He will never lead you outside the practice of the word. Rightly divided. But when the helper comes, John 15, 26, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will what? Testify of me or bear witness of me. You get it? He will always uphold the testimony of Jesus. He will not lead you outside the practice of God's word rightly divided. Did you get that? Number eight, every time or each time he speaks, you are inspired edified, encouraged, enlightened, and straightened. Every time he speaks, you are inspired. You, are, you know how that scripture says, all, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed or, or is given by the inspiration of God. Or other translations say, all scripture is God-breathed. And we know that breath, pneumatos, is the spirit of God, right? Or the wind. Of God, who is also the inspiration of God. How does the King James put this? KJV. Yeah, you are right in that scripture. Second Timothy 3.16. That same scripture in the King James. Every time he speaks, you are inspired, edified, encouraged, enlightened, and straightened. 
inspired, edified, encouraged, enlightened, and strengthened. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. TPT. Every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Make sense? So, he is the inspiration of the word of God. So, when he speaks, what should you get? Inspiration. Edification, encouragement, enlightenment, and strengthening even when he rebukes and corrects you. I mean, think of the Corinthian church. Paul assured them of God's love, assured them of God's presence, right? Assured them that they were lacking in no gift or no grace, even when he rebuked them for lacking the grace of giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 8, all through, you see God's dealings with them in love. You see God's dealings with them instructing, correcting, edifying, and straightening them out. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. You get it? Can I move on? Number nine, he makes conversations with you. The Holy Spirit makes conversations with you. He reasons with you, reasoning you into God's will. He doesn't force you into it, doesn't beat you into it, doesn't bully you into it. He reasons you into God's will. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. This is helping anybody. Acts 10, 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. That's um, 3 o'clock, right? And then he became very hungry. That's 12 o'clock, actually. 3 o'clock is the ninth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance or a vision and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done how many times? What was that? Reasoning. He didn't get it. The voice spoke again. Had the whole conversation. He didn't get it a second time. The voice spoke again. He reasons you into God's will. He's not despotic or dictatorial. Does that make sense? He doesn't shout at you, doesn't force you, doesn't beat you around, doesn't bully you. That's not the Spirit of God. And therefore, anybody who operates by His Spirit doesn't do that either. Make sense? And these are practical things that bring out the beauty and simplicity of our sonship. This is when it becomes practical being a son of God in church, following the leading of the Spirit. You cannot be bullying people, shouting at people, and claiming we are led by the Spirit. You cannot, no matter how your temperament is, if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, you speak only as He will have you speak. You act only as He will have you act. You do only as He will have you do. You will not speak at someone, make jest of someone, be condescending to someone, treat someone like you are above them if you are led by the Spirit. You cannot do all of these things and at the same time claim. You are led by the Spirit. You are deceiving yourself. You might be born again, but you are being governed by your flesh, which is in opposition 
to the leading of the Spirit. You, see, you saw that earlier, right? In Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 17. You are in opposition to the leading of the Spirit. You are born again. You are eternally saved. Praise God for your life. But you are not of any use in church. You are not of any use in church. Because you are walking according to your flesh. And justifying it all the time. The Lord said to me, the Lord didn't say it to me. Mind what Lord you are hearing. I was led, I was not led. Mind who is leading. Because the tenets of the leading of the spirit are clear. According to scripture. Can we see that? It's not despotic, it's not dictatorial. It doesn't shout at people. It doesn't jest at people. It doesn't throw people around. Number 10. Did you get that? The voice of the Holy Spirit is always crystal clear. He speaks to you for you to know exactly what to do. Not for you to guess and decode what to do. He's always crystal clear. He speaks to you for you to know what to do. In other words, how you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you is that at the end of it, you know what to do. Not speak to you and then you start to decode or guess. No, he's in you. Do you understand? It's not mysteries that are in you. It is he who has unraveled the mystery. Does that make sense? Mystery which was hidden for all ages, but now is revealed in you. That's what Paul says. So if you, the Holy Ghost is inside of you, every mystery is unpacked. Every mystery is unpacked. So when he speaks, he speaks for you to know what to do. Not give you, give you a number of permutations or number of, of stuff that you have to decode. Does that make sense? The Holy Ghost spoke to me, sir, but he said you should interpret it. You didn't hear the Holy Spirit. Ouch. You just picked a few signals. Because how you know he spoke is that he leaves you knowing what to do without needing me. Oh, but pastor, what's the place of counsel? Because he speaks to you, he can speak to you without me. Doesn't he mean to speak to you? But then you need me to speak to you. What then is the need? If he doesn't need me to speak to you, but you need me to speak to you. And he's also counting on me to speak to you. But he doesn't need me to, for you to hear his voice. Again, again. Acts 10, 19. Are we doing okay? Acts 10, 19. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are... See, see how clear it is. While he was praying, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Behold, three men are looking for you. Acts 8.29. You see Philip's story. I love that story. He speaks how? Clearly. Somebody say clearly. clearly. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near. That's the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Go near and overtake this chariot. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading... The prophet Isaiah said, do you understand what you read, right? Acts 13 and 2. Paul and Barnabas, I believe, after they had prayed and fasted the Holy Spirit. Yes. After they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Spirit. What? Holy Spirit what? Said. Clearly. Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So it's always crystal clear. He speaks to you for you to know exactly what to do. Did you see those examples? He speaks to you for you to know exactly what to do. Get up, go here. Do this thing. Does that make sense? Clearly, not for you to guess what to do. Number 11. 
The Holy Spirit, some of you will like this one, is relentless. He never stops talking. He never stops talking. So start to pay attention to that inner quiet, constant voice. The one that is interested in your taxi. The one that is interested in your ear. The one that is interested in how you slept. That voice that is always talking. Pay more attention. Because it's relentless. He never stops talking. There's nothing about you he's not interested in. Deuteronomy 4.31. Deuteronomy 4.31. This is God telling the church in the wilderness. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you. Nor destroy you. Nor forget the covenant. Which is what? Which covenant? Which fathers? Deuteronomy 31 and 6. <laughs> be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. 7. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him inside of all Israel, Be strong, good courage, for you must go with these people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. Verse 8. And the Lord is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13 and 5. The writer of Hebrews now quotes this as our reality. I love it. I love it. Hebrews 13 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will Wow. <laughs> he himself has said he will never leave you or forsake you. So it turns out, guys, it was not Israel's promise. It was Alexander's promise. So the writer of Hebrews comes and says, hey, be content because he himself said he will not leave you, you, New Testament, you, no, you. This is Hebrews 13. By Hebrews 12, you're in the you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the church of the firstborn. It's telling you, you. I said, I will not leave you. So it's, it's, it's not Old Testament. This was a, a future promise hidden in the Old Testament for the New Testament believer. Oh, the Holy Spirit stopped speaking to me. No, it's, no. He, don't, he can't stop. He's never forsaken you. He's never leaving you. Have you forgotten that he's your seal? It's your seal. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a mute button. He's always talking. It's relentless. That's how you know that you cannot be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and get something wrong. Because you cannot say he was not speaking. You cannot say he was not interested. He's relentless. I'm almost done. This is helping you. I said he's relentless. I said he never stops speaking. And yet, number 12, he's not a nag. He doesn't beat you down or weary you into doing anything. That's all number 12. He's not a nag. He doesn't beat you down or weary you into doing anything. And this is crucial. Not even the will of God. Yes. That too. Not even, he's not going to beat you 
and weary you into doing God's will. Because then it wasn't your will. And the whole idea of God's romance with you is that he gave you a will that you can spend on him. That's why God gave you a will. So you can spend your will on him. If he wanted zombies, he shouldn't have given you a will. He should have just created you programmed to serve him. So he's interested in your will aligning to his will. He's interested. He's interested. So your will is powerful. Even God is powerless in a manner of speaking against your will. So shock somebody here today. Even God is powerless. If you put your foot down and say, I'm not doing. He's not doing. He's powerless against your will. So the Holy Spirit is not a nag. He will not come and say, hey, if you don't do this thing, hey, see what happened? Solomon and Gomorrah. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. It's not a nag. It doesn't beat you or weary you into doing anything, including the will of God. Remember I said earlier on, he will reason with you. To reason you into the will. Not to nag you and beat you into the will. Are you here now? Did you get that? He doesn't argue with you. It's a gentle spirit. He doesn't argue with you. See how we're coming? It's relentless, relentless, doesn't stop speaking, yet it's not a nag. But, number 13, he can resist you. Don't assume you know. Just learn. The Holy Spirit is relentless, doesn't stop talking, but he's not a nag. He won't argue with you, he won't beat you and weary you down into doing even God's will. But, he can resist you, believer. For your own good. Acts 16, verse 6 and 7. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were tippity. The message. Go on, next slide. Go on. Next verse, verse 7. So they, they left the blood route, right? And went to Mysia and tried to go north to Bithynia. The spirit of who? Who is the? That blocked the first route. <laughs> he will block you. For your good. Because he loves you. There's only one condition though. Because this is conditional. It is not everybody. It's not every believer the Holy Spirit resists or blocks. I will get there in a minute. But before I get there, let me also explain to you that the way that he resists you and blocks you is the same way he can drive you. Same way he... Mark 1, 12 or 14. About Jesus. I saw something that was quite interesting. Yes, 12. Immediately, the spirit... Now, excuse me, before I even do exegesis on this verse. Um, success met Porsche downstairs and success drove Porsche to the shop. What does that mean? In English, just regular English. 
It doesn't sound like that shop was the intended destination of Porsche. A herdsman drives cattle to a place. If you're going too far to the right, he comes and some of them have sheep dogs that help to keep the cattle or sheep going in a particular place. That's, so you're driving a herd of cattle. Does that make sense? So you say, oh, we, we drove Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus most likely could not have felt like going. You there? Now the word for drove, I checked it out, is the word ekbalo in the Greek. E-K-B-A-L-L-O. E-K-B-A-L-L-O. The word means to expel. To throw out, to drive out. It is the same word that was used when demons were cast out. Ekbalo. Drive out. And this is serious stuff. Mark 9:18. Ekbalo. He was talking about that demoniac, right? And whatever it seizes him, throws him down. That's Ekbalo. And he forms at the mouth, gnashes his teeth. Luke 6:22. Just a few examples of Ekbalo. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name. Cast out, there's the word Ekbalo. You get it? Luke 9.39. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. 40. So I employed your disciples to Ekbalo and they could not. And go back to Mark 1.12. Mark 1.12. Immediately the spirit Ekbalo. So essentially, the spirit grabbed Jesus and expelled him into the wilderness. Does that make sense? Pretty much, and that doesn't happen nicely. So there's a violent nature to it. Not violent to hurt you. Does that make sense? But a force that is beyond you. So when you say the spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness, like, Jesus, come on, let's take a walk into the wild. <laughs> the wild, wild east. <laughs> Let's take a walk. No, no, no. The spirit ekbalod him. The height of a man's walking in the supernatural is when the spirit of God can ekbalo you. And I will repeat, it doesn't happen to everybody. It should be your utmost desire. To get to the point where God is confident enough to take a hold of you and take you wherever he wants. Because he knows you are, that's the condition, you are that yielded. Because only absolutely yielded persons can be ekbalod of God. God knows that he has processed you so much. Your will is now totally aligned to his will. Such that if it's not his will, you have no will. At that point, you become God's property. God knows he has license to throw you in any direction and you will go. That's the height of discipleship. It was that kind of understanding that made Paul know he could throw Timothy anywhere. Does that make sense? Anywhere. He could be expelled and he could be cast into a place and he will go because at this point your flesh is dead. So before you say, Lord, I love to walk in that dimension. Check. 
you can pay the price of your will dying. Because only dead men are driven. All men are saved. All men are led. Only dead men are driven. Only absolutely yielded men are driven. And check the people that will make their mark on the sands of time. It is those who are yielded enough to be driven. Not your marginal new creation. I love Jesus and righteousness. You will sit down there and confess righteousness and the earth will have no record of you. That's the truth. That's why I said in my word for today, for this morning. That to go forward, you must grow forward. To go ahead, you must grow ahead. You can't sit down there and be nominal and marginal and expect God to do supernatural things with you. Oh God, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. You go shock. Go shock. It will happen so nicely without you. You sleep and wake up and it has happened. Oh God gave me a vision. Oh, nobody else can do it. Wow. It's not like I even want God to do anything special with me anyway. You are a waste of space. You might as well die now and go and wait in heaven. Because you're absolutely useless to God's kingdom agenda in the earth. I said over and over, your sonship is not for heaven. That kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So you're planted here. Your sonship is relevant here and now. You're the manifestation of God's kingdom in the earth. Are you hearing me now? So if you don't want to do anything, you might as well stop occupying space. And then time to no, just go. But if you're gonna be here and you're gonna be led by the spirit, the height of being led by the spirit is that you're so yielded, you're not negotiating when he says to do something. Imagine God telling Philip. Get up, overtake the chariot. Be like, eh, how, how it go be? Chariot, me. Legged these bands. How are we going to do it? But when a man is so into God, and God, God is just releasing a thought in the man's heart, the man has done it. Man has done it. I should say all the time that for me, my wife will tell you, my own is, let Pav not hear. There are some things in that Pav should not hear God owe. Because if Pav hears God, we have done it before we realize what we have done. If I receive an impression to do something, I never calculate how it's going to affect me. Ever. Most times, people around me are trying to calculate for me. If you give this one out now, this is the only one you're managing. If you give it out, then what next? How will will you manage? I just do it. A little man has counted the cost. A yielded man is not always counting the cost. I repeat, a yielded man has counted the cost. A yielded man is not always counting the cost such that every time God tells you to do something, you then sit down and start counting the cost. You're not yielded. A yielded man doesn't count the cost. A yielded man has counted the cost and has said, whatever it costs, I'm going to do it. That's the only time. Once you enter that, you're gone. So it's not like every time God calls you, you are counting the cost. No. In other words, okay, ah, it's not like God has said now, so how it will be? So if I do this, what, what, what will you? No, no, no. You, you did that at the point you, that you decided to go. Ekbalo. That way you are constantly on the frequency of the voice of the Holy Spirit. God can count on you to carry out his counsel in the earth. Can drive you. And that's how God has always worked with men. 
Ezekiel 11. Ezekiel 11, I think, is verse 1. <laughs> In fact, there was one time they were talking about Elisha, and they were saying that, ah, how am I sure? You know that story, emoji, about how am I sure that when I come back here, the Lord has not carried, the Spirit of the Lord has not carried you somewhere else. So they had a notoriety for being carried spontaneously by the Spirit of God. They said, ah, how am I sure? See, see Ezekiel. Then the Spirit, what? Lifted me up. And brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house. This is Old Testament. 37.1. Ezekiel 37.1. I'm almost done with this. The hand of the Lord came upon me and... So you see this thing didn't happen by chance that Ezekiel was just around a valley that had bones. The Spirit of God transported him from his location to the valley of bones. 43.5. Ezekiel 43.5. <laughs> The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Imagine men being transported by the Spirit. You are struggling to be led by the Spirit. Men are getting caught up, ekbalo driven, including Jesus. We are struggling to just obey a voice, just to hear and obey. I mean, somebody grow after today. In your yielding. In your yielding. So much more God can do through you. So much more. Don't sit down there and be expecting to be patronized. So much more he can do through you. If you just yield. He doesn't just want to speak to you. He doesn't just want to counsel you. He doesn't just want to reason with you. He wants to drive you. You know when a man is driving a, a, a cattle. Or driving an, a chariot. He knows I own this. Wherever this thing is going. This thing has no mind or will of its own. I mean, you can't be driving a car. The car is telling you where you want to go. Does that make sense? You drive the car where the car should take you. Because you bought a car to do your whim and caprice. You bought a car to serve you. You didn't buy a car to serve the car. Does that make sense? Now, when your mind fuses with God, God knows if I need to go anywhere, I can send Shalom there. If I say Shalom, go. Shalom has gone. If I say Jonas, go. Jonas has gone. Yielded. Yielded. That's who he walks through. Acts 8.39. You see the same thing with Philip. Now when they came up of the water, after Philip had baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, the spirit of the Lord, so that the eunuch, and the eunuch went his way, rejoicing. Verse 40, but Philip, TPT, verse 40. He can resist you for your own good. We saw it with, with the apostles, right? And he can drive you because you're yielded. 40. Okay, just, so just go to the next slide. Philip was suddenly snatched up by the Spirit. Okay, and instantly carried away to the city of Ashdod where he... Men driven by the Spirit. Like literally. Man, we can't be struggling with petty things when there are deeper things to navigate in the Spirit. Of what is all your sonship with all the noise? It's not noise. It's not noise. God is looking for a bunch of people he can count on. Fling you anywhere in furtherance of his will. And you say, here I am, Lord. Even Jesus said, I came as was written of me in the volume of the books. That's what all this training in righteousness is about. The Holy Spirit speaks to resist you. He speaks to drive you.
Acts 20, 22. And I'm through with this. Mm -hmm. There's another one that interested me. See what Paul says. See, now I go. Let's see other translations. Now I am captive to the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Without really knowing what happened. But there's another urgency before me now, the message. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. NLT. And now I am bound by the Spirit. The word bound is the word dedemenos. Dedemenos. The way it's pronounced. Dedemenos. From the root word dio, which means bound, tied, fastened, compelled. So I am dedemenos. I am bound, tied, fastened, compelled by the Holy Spirit. Right? few examples of that. Matthew 12, 29. It's a teaching, remember? Matthew 12, 29. Jesus speaking, right? And it says, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first dedemenos the strong man? So, so you get a mental picture, a graphic picture of that word. Except he first binds the strong man. The word there is dedemenos. Matthew 14, th- 3. Matthew 14, 3. Matthew 14.3. For Herod had laid hold of John and the demonos bound him. Okay? Put him in prison. Luke 13.16. There's a bunch of that, that, that use of that word in the New Testament. Luke 13.16. So ought not this woman, the one who was bent over for 18 years, be a daughter of Abraham, excuse me, whom Satan had bound. Think of it for 18 years. And that's the same word Paul chooses to use when he says, I go to Jerusalem bound by the Spirit. Acts 20, 22, rather. Just so you understand how important certain words are when they are used in Scripture. Think of a word that was used to refer to somebody bound for 18 years. Somebody bound physically in prison. About binding a strong man. And Paul chooses that word to say, I go to Jerusalem determined by the Holy Ghost. The demonos pneumatos or pneumati, actually, is what he uses of the, of the spirit. Uh, can you walk with God to that point where the Holy Ghost can have you bound to do his will? And you don't see that bondage as obligation, but as willing love and sacrifice. That's when, when you sing, Whatever you ask of me, I surrender. That's when it will make sense. That's when, when you sing, I've abandoned everything I've ever known. I surrender my life is not my own. That's when it will make sense. Until then, don't sing it. I've been captured by a love I can't explain. Now you have me and I'm forever changed. I've abandoned everything I've ever known. Now you have me. My life is not my own. I belong to you. I I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. As soon as you finish singing the song, you take yourself back. Because you only give yourself away for the duration of the song. Because if you give yourself away so he could use you, as you walk away from that song, your entire attitude to the guy sat next to you will change. That's him walking through you. Your posture in church will change. You won't come here and be struggling to obey instructions. What is it for people that can be bound? Are you, here, are you seeing the gravity of those words? People that he can expel. Cast out the way a devil is cast out. 
God can pick you and cast you to wherever his will needs to be done. And he knows that he's not violating your will. But you have, you have so died to your will in favor of his that God knows that your will is now fused with his. So if he says, go and do this, he knows that he's using a man that is totally yielded. Are you hearing me? A man that's totally yielded. The dimension to which you hear the voice of God will change. Because some things will not be entrusted to you if you're just struggling with being led. Struggling with being, you understand what I'm saying? Struggling with being, you're struggling with basic righteous living. Um, By righteous living, I mean living in the realities of who you are in God through Christ. Not by trying to do, just doing out what has been done in. Like I said to you last week, you are struggling with that and you're looking, you have your eyes set on the future and big things. It will not happen. No matter how agidibashos you say your God is. Can I be practical with you? Stretch all you want. Sing all you want. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You are beg and me. Finish singing. Next week, you are still where we left you. Next year, you just lock yourself in your room, deceiving yourself that you are meditating about your life on your birthday. You have not moved an inch. Because listen to me. Look at me carefully. If you have moved, you don't need to reflect. Your one year is loud enough to inform you you have moved. Does that sound like something that helps you? You will not need to see that. Okay, let me see. Let me see. Let me reflect and see how far I have come. No, no, no. Your, your whole year will be so loud that it's, it's a reflector. M- multiple colors. You know light reflectors. That even the dark, they are shining. Yeah. <laughs> your one year will be a reflector. You'll be showing you how far you have traveled. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy making impact to sit down and be thinking, okay, how far have I come? Ah, do you know how much God is working in me to will and do of his own pleasure? We're active. Active. We're yielded. He's looking for people to drive. I said yesterday or day before yesterday, some guys were shocked. It was yesterday. And I said that the love of God is not chasing down a believer. What's wrong with you? But because you don't want to grow. Because to, to be saying God is, God's love is chasing after me means to see yourself as lost even though you have been found. Does that make sense? They brought you into the pen. 99 became 100. We turned. You, you came out of the pen. I like them looking for me. Look for me now. There's no mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me will catch you. Okay. Come back. You know, carry it. Drag you back into the pen. Drop it. You will follow the fence and jump out again because I just like them chasing after me. His love chased after you when you were lost. Found you and put you in the pen. You're not going anywhere. So now we can leave you there and chase the other people that are outside the pen. And then after a while you understand the way this pen thing works. We now open the pen for you to go and chase and bring. Not that we are afraid that if we open the door of the pen, now you, you're now lost. So we tie a bell around you. You become that sheep with the bell that can now bring others into light. Grow up. It's looking for men to drive. Is this provoking anybody? Yes, sir. Can't be caught in fleshy dimensions, chasing after the lust of the flesh, arguing and doing petty stuff when there's a dimension out there People will hear God at a level. 
You know, I keep telling you that, that, that things are hardest there teaching. They're beginning to get ideas. Yeah. That things are sonship readies you for. Does that make sense? Yeah. The best of God as per service in the kingdom is not entrusted to the weaker of sons. Do you understand? You must pull weight. I told you last week. You must pull weight in the spirit. Anybody can sit up and say, oh, I want to disciple nations. It's, it's, it's great. But not everybody who says, I want to disciple nations will actually disciple nations. Because in God's love, he will look at some of you and say, you, God forbid. <laughs> because if we give you a, a house fellowship, you will kill it. Kill it. You won't prosper it. It's not that God doesn't want you to disciple a nation, but you're not gilded enough for it. To receive what is required to do it. You're not yielded. You're not positioned. You're not placed. So pray and cry all you want to dunk you in a drum of anointing oil. You know you need anointing so badly with the oil is too small or the bottle. We bring the drum. You understand? Dunk you in the oil. Because you need anointing. You make no difference. Mantles, prayer, serving your pastor, no difference. You can serve and you are not yielded. You can travel with your pastor and you are not yielded. Nothing will come upon you. You can be yielded and your pastor will never need to pray over you. Let me receive. No. You just find yourself walking in a dimension of the grace of God that you are exposing your eyes to. Because I've told you over and over, listen, there are people that have more mileage than you in the spirit. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Ah, there's, there's mileage. Oh. People have walked in the things of God. Everybody can, but not everybody will. It's at that level that you need to hear my voice. Mileage. Mileage in the spirit. So people have swum certain depths. You find you follow. Are you, are you following me now? He can resist you for your own good. He can drive you. Man, I want to be driven. There's no time to waste. What are we doing? What are we pursuing? Lastly, the, the voice of the spirit of God never mocks you or tells you that you are on your own. Or you heard a voice that said, man, uh, you, if you continue this, you continue the way you're going, you're on your own. Listen, it's your mother's voice you're hearing. Yes. Again, like I said, you must be careful what you are attributing to the voice of God, to the Holy Spirit. Mm. Because you're like me, I've always told you, you don't hear, you don't hear. I've told you, I've told you. I, I, felt like I saw the Holy Ghost drawing my ear. It's not, it's not the Holy Ghost. It's your school teacher. Because he never mocks you. He never tells you on your... Listen, somebody that was given to seal you for eternity cannot turn around and tell you on your own. Again, you look at me and say, Pav, why are you so sure about what you're teaching? Because of what the word of God says. How can you explain a Holy Spirit that sealed you for eternity, threatening you to be on your own? Where's he going? The Holy Ghost told me, if you do that, you're on your own. No, no. They went to sleep with a prostitute in Corinthian church and he was still inside them. So he tells them, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost in whom he also dwells, not in whom he dwelled until you sinned. In whom he dwells. Therefore, 
honor the Lord with your body. In other words, don't misbehave with your body because wherever you go with this body, the Holy Spirit is in it. So your response in holy living is the responsibility of the cargo you are carrying. Not the, the fear of consequence of losing the cargo. Does that make sense? So you become that package that has fragile plastered all over it. I can't use this thing anyhow because I'm carrying precious cargo. Holy Spirit, sit well in this body. That's why we are righteous. That's why we are holy. Not to preserve him, but so he can preserve us. Are you hearing me now? Why doesn't leave? Do you know that he that sleeps with the prostitute, Paul says to the Corinthian church, is one with her. But he says, you, who, to him who is joined to the Lord, is one spirit with him. So honor God with your bodies. Paul was never teaching that the Holy Ghost can leave. He wasn't. So the Holy Ghost, who cannot leave, cannot turn around and tell you on your own, on the strength of scripture. I had the Holy Ghost warning me the other day. So what do I mean? Ah, say you. Oh no, I won't even talk to you again. That's a familiar spirit. Trying to pervert your assurance beyond probability of the presence of God. And once you believe that lie, other lies will quickly follow. Because the enemy looks for the lie that is closest to your reality. And once he gets a foothold, other lies can follow. The moment he gets you to believe that you're on your own, you now start to act and walk like you're on your own. And that's where he is. You get it? He's never condemning or condescending. The Holy Spirit is never condemning or condescending. So you cannot be that either. You cannot have the Spirit of God walking in you and you are condemning or condescending. Talking at people all the time and saying, this is who I am. Mm -mm. How you are is the Holy Ghost in you. That's how you now are. How you think you are is how you were. You can't stand in front of me or you can't talk to me like this. You Listen, start learning to say, you couldn't talk to me like that. Start learning it. There's power in what you say. You can't be talking now as a new creation and saying, you can't stand in front of me. Oh. Six, six minutes, I will give you. No, you couldn't. Such were you. Paul tells them, such were you. Were you. If you must re- make reference to it, emphasize is who you were. Emphasize. Don't st- no believer who knows who they are in Christ starts saying, this is who I am. Oh. This is who I am. Just take it or leave it. Me, if you say it, I would give it to you. That's, that's not a believer. The spirit of Jesus is not in that person. They're in church. They might be a leader. They might be a pastor. But that is not the spirit of Jesus. You can't be saying this is who I am. And the word of God comes and comes and comes and comes. And you refuse to shift. No, you have just gotten caught up in the pride of some knowledge. And this applies particularly to those who have been born again a long time. Those of you who have been born again a long time. This applies particularly to you. You can get caught up in the subtle pride of knowledge and feel like some things are not applying to me. It's the pride of knowledge. You think you know who you are enough. That's not what it means when it says don't be tossed around. It's referring to doctrine. It's not saying you should be immovable in church. Who are you? So because you are who, we can't tell you where to sit. 
You can't tell him, get up and go here. Get up, do that. I didn't plan for that. You have to plan for it. He planned for it. Yeah. Be yielded to his plan. Those of you who have been born again a long time, those of you who have been in church a long time, be mindful of the pride that comes with knowledge. A little knowledge. Because you can't. You can't be shifted. You talk about people, you're condescending. That's not the spirit of Jesus. Quote all the scripture you want. Satan quotes scriptures. The scriptures he came at Jesus with. All, every single thing, Satan. He came at Jesus with relevant scriptures. He didn't quote anything out of context though. Just so you know. People that preach you and say Satan quoted scripture out of context. That's not true. That's not true. Does God give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways? Yes! Yes! There was nothing Satan quoted that was out of context. It was just out of time. Satan was hoping Jesus would not understand it was not time for the application of that. So anybody can quote scripture. Anybody can quote it right. But there are people that carry the spirit. You encounter them, you know. You sense it. Then there's how, Not the information you have that makes you feel you're operating by the spirit. Mm-mm. There's people that carry their custodians of the presence. You meet them, you know. There's a warmth about them. Somebody can pretend for so long you love them and one day they will lose it and crush you. And you feel pain. After a while you heal. You now resume your pretense. There's no spirit of Jesus working in them. They're just cool people or people who have learned to be cool for a while. Do you understand? They're just volcanoes that are not erupting. And you now think it's always, oh, it's very nice, it's very sweet. The day the volcano erupts. You understand that it was not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is known by consistency. I taught that a while ago. Consistency. Your countenance is the same. Your delivery is the same. Your outlook is the same. Your speaking is the same. Your submission is the same. Your yieldedness is the same. Your giving is the same. Your service is the same. That's the spirit of Jesus. Anything outside that is pretense. And again, like I said earlier on, careful who you have given ear to. Because you hear somebody now, you hear spirits telling you, you see, just ignore that thing. They don't, he doesn't know what's going on with you. He doesn't know how everything is doing you. You're the only one that knows how it's doing you. So just ignore it here. Yeah? God understands you. Instantly you know what you are hearing. It's not the spirit of God. Because he will not be planting a word in you to grow you and sit next to you instructing you to not receive it. It's not complex. The voice of God is not complex. It's, it's straightforward. How do you gain mastery over all of these discernings? By renewing your mind. And by putting the word in you. Because if your mind is not renewed, you will, and I end how I start, you will end up thinking that what you're hearing is the voice of God. Because it patronizes your flesh. So renew your mind. Walk with him. Be led of him. Yield to him. Practice him. Galatians 5, 16. Let's end there. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not, this is a guarantee you see, and you shall not fulfill the lust 
of the flesh. 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. 18 and the last verse. But if you are led by the spirit, Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, right? Has redeemed us, set us free from the law of sin and death. Walk in the spirit. The voice of the Lord is loud and clear in your heart from today. Loud and clear. You will never confuse it again. And now that the enemy has been exposed, you will not hear him again. You will not. His voice will fade away. The voice of the world fades away. The voice of your flesh fades away. Because now also you have learned how your flesh speaks. You have learned how your flesh takes advantage of how you feel. And how the Holy Spirit is a voice beyond how you feel. Your ears are open to his voice. You are wired to hear his voice. In the name of Jesus. Hearing God's voice is not difficult for you. You walk in the spirit as your natural habitat. In the name of, you rise above the works of the flesh. In the name of Jesus. The things you struggled with in your flesh. By virtue of the knowledge that you have come into today. Is broken henceforth. In the name of Jesus. To the measure that you are open. To the measure that you are yielded. Every walk of the flesh. Every thought of the flesh. Every machination of the flesh in your life. Is subdued in the name of Jesus. We apply the authority in that name. The authority in that name. The authority in that name. Ma iso kobaha. Le sifa kolibrande go sipajahados. Le sifa la ozipa la ozipa la hanes. Every recess of our flesh. In the name of Jesus, the illumination of God's word brings an end to every struggle in the flesh. Brings an end to every strange voice. Every strange voice. Every strange voice. We curse every strange voice. We curse every strange voice. We curse every strange voice. In our flesh, we curse every strange voice. In our emotions, we curse every strange voice. In our sentiments, we curse every strange voice. In the systems of this world, we curse every strange voice. Only one voice has our ears. The voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit. We receive clarity and direction. 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 And we thank you for it. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.